today we are so pleased to have with us Allison Jones Lockwood. Allison, you know, you've had such an amazing journey and a com- you know real commitment to so much um, around this topic. And I know our our listeners are going to love hearing more about you. Could you just share a brief summary, you know, a bio about yourself? Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've been a sexual assault advocate for over 20 years. I actually started out working for the United States Navy, and I've worked with rape crisis centers in Kansas City, Missouri, and San Diego, California. I've been with End Violence Against Women International for the past 11 years, uh, wearing a variety of roles, as those of us with nonprofit organizations typically do. And currently, I am the Start by Believing Community Liaison. Wow. Thank you so much, Allison. And, you know, I, I, we've had so many different um, walks of life and guests come to their microphone to share their stories with us um, as survivors and, and activists and authors and experts. And I think all of us like to know what propelled you into this work. Well, it actually started when I was in college. Uh, I was a elementary education major and one of the requirements um, for a health education minor was to take obvious health classes. And I actually became a peer educator on campus at Kansas State University. And I was mostly focused on sexual health education and awareness. And then toward the end of my junior year, um, the peer educator started connecting with the advocates at the Women's Center on campus. And it really just kind of changed the trajectory of what I wanted to do. I knew that I didn't want to teach (laughs) in an elementary school. I knew that I wanted to do some type of community education advocacy. And shortly after I graduated, I moved to San Diego and got a job with the United States Navy and provided awareness education and worked with the advocates. So that's, that's really how I, I started out. And, you know, 22 years later, I'm still going. Please, you know, help us understand the organization um, you represent and the mission and vision um, and scope and, and how you serve others. End Violence Against Women International is a professional training organization. Uh, Our mission is to improve the criminal justice response to gender-based violence. And we seek to do that by improving the investigation and prosecution of sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, human trafficking. We offer a number of different training programs that are largely free to the community, whether it's an online training institute module or a training bulletin that we release. Um, We also have webinars. We have an in-person conference every year, and we have other regional trainings offered throughout the year. Those are, that's a lot of resources. Um, Maybe just to bring a couple of them to life for our listeners, like what is, what does it look like? What does it feel like for those involved with getting trained or what are some highlights or an example that you can give us of a specific event? Well, one example that I want to give you is uh, our victim interviewing training module. This is a module that we originally wrote early in 2000, and we re-released it uh, in the summer of 2021. It is the most comprehensive training module program available on victim-centered, trauma-informed interviewing with victims of sexual assault. It dives deeply into how to help victims retrieve and recall memory to make the investigation more thorough. So it really takes those victim-centered practices and teaches law enforcement how to apply them to their victim interviews, again, so that we can improve the investigation and ultimately prosecution of sexual assault. 
Now, the other thing I want to mention is our in-person conference um, this year in April 2022. It's a hybrid, so you can either attend virtually or in-person. But generally, our in-person conference brings together about 2,200 victim service professionals from across the country. We do have some international attendees, and it is a three-day deep dive into all things gender-based violence. Um, I I have a question. I sat in a very large um, ballroom filled with largely law enforcement officers, um, and we... I was part of a team that represented my community and we were being trained in victim interviewing techniques. This is the very trauma-informed techniques you're talking about. And I remember watching the faces of the cops who were there and watching that sort of as a, especially the older guys who had been doing it one way and that you saw the light bulbs go off and it was sort of like, oh, I won't say the expletive of it. I really been messing up all this time. <laughs> and I was wondering if you had had experienced that seeing that kind of like collective <gasps> in the room when they've been going when they've gone through this kind of training. Absolutely. Yes, I've seen it visually in the training, but I've also been working on a project over the past few months where I'm connecting with professionals who are investigating and prosecuting cases and time and time and time again they have told me before they learned about Start by Believing, which we'll get to eventually, but before they learned about Start by Believing, it was just, you know, do the bare minimum, shift the case off their desk. It didn't go anywhere. You know, they had so many cases to begin with. And then they learned about Start by Believing or they learned about victim-centered practices and they realized, oh, I've been doing this wrong for however many years. I have not been serving these victims in the way that they deserve to be treated. And it's really completely kind of given them a a complete change of the way that they do their job. And similarly, though, Allison, to Claire's question, you know, having done myself similar work and also spoken with survivors and heard about their experiences, I think sometimes it feels very challenging to, you know, so teach an old dog a new trick or, you know, change. Some of it's just down to the facial expressions and body languages. And, you know, I think it's really hard for people to change their demeanor sometimes, even if we get them practiced on word choices. Sometimes the facial expression alone is daunting and, you know, almost terrifying. They don't, no one even means to have kind of a sort of downturn smile grimace or an eyebrow that moves up or, uh, you know, we can probably get them to uncross their arms. Uh, But I think there's some really small nuanced kinds of things that we become extremely sensitive to as survivors trying to tell our, our truth. And I'm curious how you've worked around those real micro movements and, and you know, perceptions. Oh, that's a great comment. So one of the things that we talk a lot about is that when we interact with survivors, the most important that we do is express empathy. And we do, we can express empathy in a number of different ways. It can be actual words that we say. It can be uh, through our body language, like you said, our facial expressions. And one of the things that we point out to professionals is that a neutral stance 
is often not enough for a survivor to feel like it is a safe place to disclose information. So having that, you know, kind of blank affect or, you know, really just neutral face often is not enough for that survivor to feel safe. So it's creating that environment where you pay attention to your body language, your facial expressions, the words that you are saying to that survivor to express that empathy. And, and do you actually get them to practice, you know, in, you know, sometimes I feel like if they read on a screen, it goes in, but not necessarily feels comfortable yet to deliver. So does your training also include practice and even with actors, you know, or act, you know, someone playing the survivor? Yeah. So one of the things that we recently released, uh, the first training was in January and it was a comprehensive victim interviewing training. And it's uh, the first of its kind that we've done. It's a two-day training. And in preparation for it, we did four mock interviews. And these mock interviews included a detective or investigator, a survivor, and an advocate. And three out of the four survivors that participated had very negative experiences with law enforcement when they reported. And so the goal of this, these mock interviews, is to show how an interview should be conducted. So we didn't want to show the bad of what happened. We wanted to show this is what it looks like to interview someone in a trauma-informed way. So as folks are watching these mock interviews, they get to see all of that role modeling behavior the, you know, soft words, the um, body language, having that advocate also shows the importance of having that advocate present during the victim interview. And all of the survivors that participated in these interviews told us that it was actually very healing for them to see what it looked like and what it felt like to be interviewed in the right way. So we were, we were very worried that one, it would be triggering, but also that it would be um, very upsetting to them to know that this was not the response that they received. And they actually told us the opposite, that sitting with these well-trained investigators actually was really helpful to them in their healing. Right. I think that's perfect, Allison. I And I also love that you talked about that because our survivors and their supporters are always looking for every possible path to the healing journey. And, you know, the flip side of your work is you're working with those who are practitioners in the field. But in turn, I I think what I'm hearing you say for our survivors is you can turn your pain into someone else's ability to not be hurt again. Um, And you'll find that that in and of itself may be part of your most powerful steps to heal from what you went through. I know for me, certainly, Allison, every single thing that I've ever done, as hard as it often is emotionally, it made everything at least reconcilable. You know, it doesn't make it perfect and it doesn't make it different, but it makes it like, wow, if something bad has to happen in the world, how can I use it to better others and help, you know, make a difference so others don't go through the same thing. And, you know, for all of our listeners today, I think Allison's, you know, work is really important. And if I'm sure there's lots of ways you could support Allison's organization and, you know, get get involved with training 
um, and helping maybe in your own community to to get more police and law enforcement trained in similar methods. So thanks, Allison, for sharing that. So Allison, tell us about Start by Believing and Start by Believing Day. What is that about? So Start by Believing is our public awareness campaign and Start by Believing seeks to change the way we respond to disclosures of sexual violence. And when I say we, I mean collectively all of us. Um, It's not just for criminal justice professionals. Start by Believing is just as important for friends, family members, professors, teachers, coaches, anyone that that survivor could disclose to We want to create an environment where anybody is ready and prepared to handle a disclosure in the right way. All too often, survivors disclose to somebody that is close to them. And the research shows that survivors, on average, disclose to two to three people before they ever make it to law enforcement. And so we want to ensure that 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 mom, that dad, that roommate is ready to help them and be supportive instead of saying, well, why did you sneak out? Why were you drinking? What did you think was going to happen? Or are you sure that's what happened? We want this person to say, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm here for you. How can I help you? And I believe you. And we know that that positive response will increase the likelihood that this survivor will tell someone else. Now, a little bit about how Start by Believing came to be. Um, The CEO of End Violence Against Women International, Joanne Archambault, had the idea for Start by Believing um, back in the 80s when she was a child abuse detective. She was investigating cases with kids who were being abused. They were not being believed by their parents, by their grandparents, by the investigators themselves. And then she saw the problem was even more prevalent when she became a sergeant over the sex crimes unit at San Diego Police Department. And it was even more common that the investigators didn't believe the survivor, that the friends and family members didn't. So the the campaign, um, and ultimately it's more than a campaign, it's a philosophy, had been Joanne's dream for many, many years. We officially launched the campaign in 2011 And since then, it has been launched in over 650 communities across the United States. There are over 20 international Start by Believing campaigns. And it's really been incredible to watch how communities have implemented Start by Believing. It really is a community-driven campaign. Um, You know, for our standpoint, we provide resources to assist communities, whether that's social media graphics or posters or action kits on how to get campaigns going. But ultimately, it's up to each individual community how they want to incorporate the campaign. And I mentioned that it really is more than a campaign. It is a philosophy that we should all be implementing into our day-to-day practice. So for law enforcement, for prosecutors, for advocates, for healthcare professionals, anybody involved in the response to gender-based violence really should implement Start by Believing. It is one aspect of a victim-centered response. It is certainly not the only aspect of victim-centered responses, but it is often the most beginning level of a victim-centered response. Thank you for explaining that. So is you say there's a day. Can you tell us when that is and, and what's what's planned? 
Sure. So Start by Believing Day is the first Wednesday of April every year. It is uh, This year is the seventh annual Start by Believing Day. And it started actually in the state of Utah in 2015 when Representative Angela Ramiro sponsored a resolution to create Start by Believing Day in Utah. And with her permission, we built on it and took it national in 2016. And really, like I said, the campaign is very community driven. So communities do ultimately a variety of different things. But this year, some of the things we're working on uh, is a video challenge. So it's encouraging those folks who like to produce video content for TikTok or for Instagram Reels. Um, So we have a video challenge where folks are submitting videos to us. We also have a survivor art focus. So we put out a call to survivors who are interested in sharing artwork with us. And we are in turn sharing that artwork with their permission on social media throughout the month of April. And the theme for 2022 is connecting with our communities. So we created 30 different posters that communities can um, download and print. And we really tried hard to make sure that the posters reflect diverse communities so that um, hopefully anybody can pick one of those 30 posters, find something that will identify with people in their community, take it to small businesses, hair salons, barbershops, wherever it is they want to take those posters to create awareness about Start By Believing. Well, that sounds very exciting. It'd be interesting to see um, what kinds of TikToks you get um, as a result of that. I imagine that would really fire up the imaginations of high school kids and college students. Um, so that would be lots of fun. I th- I'm excited to see what people submit. We've already got a few submissions. Um, I'm excited to see what people come up with. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you give us some examples, Allison, from what you've seen that really inspired you? What was some of the content? So um, this is actually, um, she. her name is Kimberly Corbin. She's very active on TikTok and Instagram. She is a survivor ad- advocate and she uses the TikTok platform to spread awareness. So she has done everything to um, short 20-second snippets on consent to uh, victim blaming. And of course, she, she talks about Start By Believing quite a bit. Um, but the one that she created for us, it talks about comparing what the victim is wearing should be less important than the perpetrator wearing orange. And for our um, Instagram that I think it was somewhere around 44,000 views on Instagram. So it, it did really well for us. Um, Kimberly herself has well over 300,000 followers on TikTok. So she is very, very active on TikTok. Um, and she's, she's done a great job creating content for us. Actually, it's, it's a very interesting analogy. And I think that it'd be fun. We'll have to look at it. Look at it. Sounds like fun. So, um, have you been hearing from communities that want to participate this year that maybe haven't in the past or? I haven't yet. So typically I, um, around Start by Believing Day, we start getting submissions from communities to be added to our map. So usually the last couple of weeks of March is when those start to trickle in. But I also monitor social media very carefully in the week, the week before, the week of, and the week after Start by Believing, and I search the Start by Believing hashtag, which literally is just hashtag Start by Believing, and I look at what communities 
are new to um, the campaign. And then I typically will try to reach out to them via social media to kind of just get more information, um, let them know we want to add them to our map and that kind of thing. So if there are any listeners here that are interested in participating or doing some kind of activity or campaign for Start by Believing Day, um, you should definitely get yourself connected to the website and get on that map. Absolutely. And the website is startbybelieving.org. You can go there. You can actually search for the Start by Believing Day tab. You can look for the map. You can make the pledge to Start by Believing And you can check out the resources. We have a lot of information on there. I believe now we're up to about 28 social media graphics that are available free. Anybody can download them and use them. Awesome. So Katie, you have other questions? No, I I think Allison, you gave us um, a a lot and a lot to think about. And hopefully more people will now know about your organization and want to support it. And also, I I love the part where we learned a whole new way of of helping our survivors heal um, through, you know, helping organizations like yours. So thank you so much. Thank you. 